Welcome back to the Someone to Tell To podcast. So delightful to have you with us here as we embark on a new season together. And we're looking forward to what season six is going to bring of our podcast. We are delighted by this conversation that we just had with Sonny today. Sonny's an activist, a musician, and has so many meaningful things to say in our conversation together, particularly around seeing the divine in every human being. It's a message that we convey all the time here at Someone to Tell It To, and so we're grateful to have you with us in today's conversation. We often don't get to meet our, our guests in person. So much of what we do, and people are scattered around the country and, and around the world. But we did have the privilege uh, earlier this year of meeting Sonny in person where we shared a speaking engagement together at Lehigh University, Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And it was, it was so nice to be able to talk with someone whom we, whom we have met and, and whom we got to know and, and respect right away for who he is and for what he believes, for the values that he has, the values that we share. So we hope you will enjoy this conversation with Sonny today. So Sonny Singh has over two decades of experience facilitating workshops and giving talks on anti-oppression, racial equity, and social justice issues. His approach centers on reflection, honest dialogue, and critical systematic analysis. He is also a member of the training teams at the Center for Racial Justice in Education and Race Forward. Sonny is also, and you'll hear more about this, a musician and an original member of Brooklyn-based Bangra brass band Red Barat. In 2022, he released his first solo album entitled Chardi Kala, The Sick Concept of Revolutionary Eternal Optimism. Musically. His project embodies the many spiritual, political, and aesthetic elements that have shaped him and his life. His live band, he writes, provides listeners with an experience of both introspective reflection and fervent urgency. Sonny currently lives in Brooklyn, New York. And as you'll hear, we had the privilege, as you have heard, we've had the privilege of meeting him Earlier this year, when we were speakers together at a conference at Lehigh University in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, we enjoyed getting to meet him there and to grow to know him, and we greatly respect the work that he does. Sonny, welcome to the Someone to Tell a Two podcast. We, it's so nice to see you again, and we're so grateful that you could join us today. Thank you for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. We want to ask you the question that we this season especially have been asking all of our guests and we just want to know, would you tell us about yourself? Sure. Big, big question. A lot of, a lot of ways to, to approach it. So I'm, I'm going to just go sort of off the top of my head, how I often introduce myself to, to folks when I'm, you know, running a workshop or, or something, something of the sort, but I am a Brooklyn based musician and an educator I'm an activist. I'm I'm someone who has centered my life around struggles for social and economic justice. That is kind of the, those principles are what are what drive me and orient me in in the world and in everything that I do, including my music. And I grew up in in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm the the child of immigrants. I am a turban wearing Sikh. 
and the Sikh faith is 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 something that that is is pretty central to my to my life and my sort of philosophy and the way that I see the world and and that really goes hand in hand with the principles of of, of social justice that I that I aim to to center my life around. And yeah, I've been I've been living in New York City for for nearly twenty years. I spend my time doing a mix of things, a whole lot of music. I tour quite a bit, performing around the U.S. and and beyond. And I also spend a good amount of time these days facilitating workshops, trainings, sort of educational experiences, sort of building skills, analysis, knowledge around racial justice around anti-oppression, around other forms of, of social justice to hopefully inspire folks to, to, to transform our world for, for the better. And I try to weave those themes in, into my music as, as well. We know a lot of people are not largely familiar with the Sikh faith. In fact, we learned a lot from your presentation at Lehigh University together earlier this year. We wondered if you would just describe the tenets and the beliefs of your faith. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's it is it is surprising that I think six are still a largely not understood or or almost invisible community in in the United States, despite the fact that we've been in the U.S. for for over a hundred years and and Sikhism is actually the fifth largest world religion. So there's there's quite there's quite a few of us in in the world, and 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 the core is really this idea of of oneness. That's the first, the first words in the six scriptures, the Guru Granth Sahib. And what that means is this one divine force, this, this one unifying force of love that, that connects all of us. And so the core, the core idea in Sikhi is if the divine is in you and the divine is in, in you and the divine is in that person down the street and the divine is in my neighbor, then, then I have to do everything in my power to ensure that each of those people who the divine is, which is all people, are not exploited, are not mistreated, are not experiencing violence, right, are not experiencing dehumanization. And, and for us as six, that's not just an ideal to live by, it, it's, a, it's a call to action, right? So in, in the Sikh faith, there's not sort of this idea of equity and justice is not just sort of like a theoretical or, or theological thing, it's a, it's a, it's a mandate to act. And so to fight for justice, to fight for the dignity of all of all human beings is an act of worship in, in the Sikh community. So that that is a, a very core kind of principle or principles in, in the Sikh faith and certainly one that that inspires me greatly. The, the faith began in the region of Punjab, which is in which is in India and Pakistan now that that border didn't used to be there. And it's a relatively new world religion, if you want to call it that, you know, the 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 first guru and, and founder of the Sikh faith, Guru Nanak, was born in 1469 in, in Punjab. So relatively, relatively new compared to uh, many of the other world religions. And, and really, the it, it came about in an environment where there was so much hierarchy based on the caste system, based on sexism, based on religious intolerance, right? And and Guru Nanak and and those who came to be known as Sikhs, and Sikh by the way means learner. It it comes literally from the Punjabi word Sikhna, which which means to learn. So a Sikh is one who's in a constant state of of learning and you know, looking around at the world, seeing all these forms of hierarchy and oppression, most of which were justified through religion. Right. The caste system is an ancient form of hierarchy and subjugation that's still 
really insidious in, in South Asian society and certainly was in the 14 and 1500s, right? And, and so Sikhism was an anti-caste revolution in, in many ways, right? It was an attempt to, to overthrow this form of subjugation through, through religion and, and to uplift this idea of oneness that I was speaking about, Ekonkar, right? So at many points in Sikh history, Sikhs have literally fought, you know, taking up arms for, for justice and freedom as well when all other means to justice and freedom ha- had failed. And, and, and so, yeah, these, these, are some of, these are some of the core principles. You know, the Sikh diasporas all over the world now, most of us trace our ancestry to Punjab. So most Sikhs are Punjabi, but not all Punjabis are Sikhs, right? Punjab, Punjabis can be lots of different religions or, or no religions as well. And, and yeah, that, that's like a little, a little taste for you and, and certainly happy to ask any follow-up questions. Well, first, we appreciate that very much. And we very much believe and love the, the beauty of the understanding that the divine is in everyone and, that, and, and is all around us. We think that's, that is so important. And, and we believe pretty much the same thing. That, and you know, our, our tenants, it, it, I mean, our organization, someone to tell it to, is, is about the worth of everyone and the, and, and the goodness that is within and that everyone has something to offer and something of value which we, we know, we all know that there are many, seemingly too many in the world who don't necessarily believe that, or, or at least don't act as if they believe that. One of the things that you said about what, what sick means, and it comes, you know, it's about learning. Tell us what, how you go about that learning, and what, what are the things that you are trying to learn and discern as you continue to grow in life? And in and in, and in, in the work you do, I mean, so so much. To to me, it's like it's like a call to 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 humility, right? I think I think religion so often plays a negative role in our society and and, and societies around the world, right? Where there's this sort of arrogance and self-righteousness to it because, oh, I have the truth. You know, I'm, I'm doing air quotes. Podcast listeners can't see that, right? Like, I, yeah, I have, I have a monopoly on the truth or my, my religion or my prophets have a monopoly on the truth. And, and to, be in, to approach life and to approach spirituality and to approach religion from a stance of, of learning rather than having the final answer already, to me, is something that is is deeply inspiring right it's a it's a call to to humility it's a call to stay grounded it's a call to always be thinking critically and 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 not necessarily proselytizing right but instead we're learning together we're growing together we're moving towards something bigger than ourselves together and and i won't say you know i'm not going to say all six are always embodying this principle right like just like every other religious community there's plenty of dogma insidious in our community plenty of arrogance insidious in our community, even plenty of like past oppression in our community, which is highly ironic given given the roots of of the Sikh faith, right? Which was again an anti-caste movement. So, you know, unfortunately, these these various sort of I'm gonna pause for a minute for that siren. Un- unfortunately, these various sort of hypocrisies and, and and manifestations of sort of arrogance or holier than thou and in a literal sense, I think have infected all of our communities. And 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 that call to learning is is 
a reminder from me to 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 make sure I'm 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 not trying to get up on that. But I'm not I'm not teetering towards being up on a high horse my, myself, right? Whether it's about spirituality, whether it's about social justice, whether it's about really really anything that I that I care about a lot, right? That I'm always positioning myself in, in a place of learning. And you know, as someone who does a lot of facilitation and and training work, I, I think that really resonates with this idea of popular education. You know, a, a term that that's been used in a lot of different ways, but in many ways traces some of its roots to Brazilian educator and sort of liberation theologian Paulo Freire in in Brazil, where you know he had this idea that it's you're not just a teacher, you're a teacher student. And students are not just students, they're student teachers, right? And, and learning is a is a two-way process. And so I'm I'm always trying to learn how to really embody that in, in everything I do, whether it's my my facilitation and training work or whether it is just the way that I that I walk through the world in, in terms of what else I'm trying to learn I think I think so much I think what what keeps me up at night is just like how do we continue moving the needle towards towards justice and liberation in our in our society right and and how can I use my my time most effectively in to 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 move that needle in in the direction that that we know it needs to move right to to really embody this idea of of oneness because so many things in our society are are pushing against that so that that keeps me up at night in terms of learning and then from a musical standpoint you know I I've, I've been a I've been a so-called professional musician for a, a really long time now and and still feel like an amateur in so many ways, right? So I always want to be deepening my craft at playing the trumpet, at singing, and at, at songwriting and and trying to capture the the emotions that I want to capture in my music. So, lear- you know, learning is a huge, hugely important part of, of life. And this is a great reminder that it's literally built into <laughs> built into what my community is called, because sometimes I honestly forget that. Hmm. Yeah, I'm reminded of a phrase that we we've used here at Someone to Tell to often. It's just everyone that we meet with knows something that we don't. And if we approach everybody that way, to your point earlier about seeing the spark of the divine in everyone, we're getting a fuller glimpse of the divine if we come into every interaction with an open mind and an open heart. Absolutely. Learn. Absolutely. So Sonny, tell us a little bit more about what does it look like on any given day to live out your faith? Yeah, I mean, I, I think largely it's what it's what I'm already talking about, right? For me, the 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 most important practices are are I mean, actually mirroring what you just said, right? Like really trying to live into seeing the divine in all and and thus orienting my life and my work in a way that that reflects that and that's and that is not just one thing right that can look like any profession really it can look like so many different lifestyles that are lived in that way and and for me as you know as we've discussed that that looks like orienting a lot of my work around you know how to really work towards towards social justice and 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 liberation for for all people you know other other ways that you know that I can comment on your your listeners can't can't see what I look like you know in the Sikh community many devout Sikhs don't cut our hair and many of us wear turbans and so those are sort of like daily commitments I I I make to to being a Sikh and I and I have made my whole life and and the idea there is because of this commitment to justice and liberation there's this the, the Sikh identity is something that is really important in our community right being recognizable as a Sikh 
is thus being recognizable as someone who's going to have your back if you need if you need support, right? That someone who is going to fight for justice of all kinds. When you see someone with unshorn hair, uh, someone wearing a turban, you know, okay, that that's someone who who believes in, in our struggles for for respect and justice and dignity. And so that that's that's an important sort of daily commitment that I that I embody as as a Sikh. And my musical practice is deeply related to my my spirituality and and being a Sikh as well. My my first musical outlet as a child was playing Sikh devotional music, Kirtan. And and I largely left it behind as a child until a couple of years ago. And and a couple of years ago, I started kind of re-exploring some of some of these devotional songs I learned as a kid, and it kind of gave birth to a new musical project. And I released my first album of this project last year under my own name. And and so that's been just a really beautiful and exciting thing for me to to be approaching Sikh devotional music at this point in my life as again a so-called professional musician and and bringing this wisdom and beauty to audiences outside of our community and 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 just digging deeper into the meaning of the so the the six scriptures are all written in poetry by Sikh gurus by Sufi saints by Bhakti poets so it's kind of a quite an interfaith body of of sacred text and it's meant to be sung and that that you know if you walk into a Sikh gurdwara the the main thing that's happening is is music. So this is rooted in 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 my community and in 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 our spiritual practice. And and I've I've been on a journey of kind of developing a new relationship with it through writing my own compositions with you know instrumentation that you would never hear inside a gurdwara, right? And so that's been a, an exciting process of of growth and exploration for me. What kind of challenges do you have being a sick that especially being in, in this country, in the United States, it, you know, not a majority religion or faith. And, and certainly anyone who is not in the majority, whatever that is, can often feel as if, you know, they, they well, that there are challenges to that. But could you talk about some of those challenges that you've experienced, experienced throughout your life as, as, as you've lived out your, your faith? and you know, tried to follow your beliefs as much as possible. What, what's that been like? Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's been quite a, a, a tough road in many ways. I grew up in, in Charlotte, North Carolina, and my brother and I were the only turban-wearing sick boys in the whole city in the 80s when we were growing up. And so isolation has been a big part of the experience. And then pretty, you know, overt, racism in the form of bullying and harassment as a you know pretty daily event as a as a kid as soon as I started kindergarten you know kids pulling off my turban on the playground telling me to go back to my country whatever that is you know just asking really rude and insulting questions a lot a lot of teasing you know which which still happens to you know it's still a a, a really horrible problem in, in schools today not only for the sick community but for for many other marginalized marginalized communities, and in many ways, a lot of that sort of racist harassment and and bullying continued as an as an adult. I was already a young adult when when 9/11 happened. I was 21 years old, and 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 certainly, you know, experiencing racism was nothing new for me at that point. But it it re it reached a certainly a heightened sense of intensity, a heightened intensity of and frequency of of racism 
in the form primarily of of harassment but sometimes threats and 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 sometimes physical altercations including someone pulling my turban off on on the New York City subway when I was in my 20s so yeah i mean that that's that is i think a part of life for for all turban wearing six in in the united states and probably in most diasporic communities and the irony is like six face a, a whole lot of a whole lot of discrimination and marginalization in india as well as a as a minority religion and a historically oppressed minority religion in india even even right now there's there's a lot of a lot of state repression happening against six in in northern india so you know we're a community where where oppression and suffering is 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 nothing new unfortunately and and that's that shaped my life in in profound ways I, I i don't know that i would have you know become the activist and organizer and and educator that i am today without those lived experiences right because through through those lived experiences i eventually was able to start connecting that to the the experiences of you know, dehumanization and marginalization that other communities were also experiencing, right? And seeing sort of a common, a common enemy of systemic oppression and, and seeing these, these things as, as intertwined. So yeah, and, and it, it, it carries on, we, we make, we make progress as well, right? But, but, you know, racism is still very insidious in, in our society. White supremacy runs, runs really deep. And for someone with brown skin, a, a turban and a beard that, you know, like walking down the street can be a, a, a difficult thing sometimes. Thank you for your vulnerability and just willingness to share all that. I mean, it just, it pains us deeply. We talk about this in our listening training that empathy is, it's impossible for us to feel exactly what you felt, but we can certainly feel something and we feel deeply for you. We just honestly can't even imagine what that must have been like growing up. And we are so proud of you for the ways that you are rising above all of that to redeem it for good and channeling all of that energy for, for positivity in the world. It's, it's really impressive. So this question we were looking forward to asking because I think it would be really helpful for marginalized communities in particular as a person who is part of the listening community, how do you listen to those who might attack and harass you, who do not respect and, and value your faith or even your personhood? Yeah, it's a, it, that, that's one that I definitely grapple with. And I, I don't think I have a very clear answer to, but you know, it kind of comes back to the conversation we were having before around the divine being in all and and how do we move towards seeing the divine in our enemies or the divine in those who might harm us who might be perpetuating the oppression that that we believe must must end because if the divine is in all then the divine is also in in them right and and that's and that's that's a difficult thing to to really hold at all at all times. So that that's that's very much a, a work in progress for me. And I mean, I, I can share that like there's been moments in 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 my life where where there's been like many, many breakthroughs, right? Of you know, if 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 someone harasses me or threatens me when I'm walking down the street, there's a lot of considerations that are running through my head. First and foremost, it's safety, depending on who's making the comment or the or the threat another thing is you know their identities right are they are they white are they are they black are they coming from another immigrant community right because there's just so many layers of how our 
how our various communities have been been pitted against each other. And and I will say that I've had I've had a few moments in in the last decade or so where where there's been a little bit of progress that's happened through through these sort of negative interactions. And I can think about one one that's popping into my mind right now in part because I'm I'm speaking at a middle school tomorrow morning to to 300 300 young people and I did something like this many many years ago at a I think it was an elementary school in in the Bronx here here in New York and and as soon as I walked in the door within within a couple of minutes you know some kid like yelled Osama or something like that at me which 10 years ago that was a pretty daily thing and and I saw some of his friends kind of like shush him and you know, I was, I was. It was not a, a very pleasant way to to walk into the school. I was, you know, feeling a little bit nervous about talking to this million, any, this many elementary school students as it as it was. You know, early early childhood education is not like my comfort zone exactly. I'm used to working with older young people, and then so then I do this assembly, like I, I do this talk workshop for the the whole school or the whole grade. I can't quite quite remember. I think it was fifth graders. And, and that student came up to me afterwards and, and like very sincerely apologized and, and I accepted his apology and we had a really positive and, and, and warm conversation. And so to me, that, that's like, that's one of these reminders that, you know, there's so much going on with whatever, like whoever it is that is, is coming at me like that. They have a they have a backstory, and I'm not always going to be in a position to to hear it when I'm triggered, when I'm on the defensive, when I'm fearing for my safety. So I'm not saying I'm that it's always going to be appropriate for me to ask them a follow up question and try to have a conversation. But especially when it's coming from a young person, especially when it's coming from a young person of color, there I think I, I think at this point, as an adult who's been living and thinking about these issues for for a long time. That's not, I'm not like continuously walking around in a state of PTSD at this point in my life. Like, I think I, I, I do have the capacity to, to engage, engage in those conversations and try to hear, hear people out in, in those situations when I'm not worried about my own safety, if, if that makes sense. I, I think there's just so many ways that communities of color have been pitted against each other, right? Where xenophobia has kind of become a a tool to just kind of marginalize others when we're marginalized ourselves, right? To try to like put ourselves on a slightly higher level than than some other community. And you know, it, it's like we don't have to intellectualize it all, but 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 I do think that divide and conquer kind of mentality has existed in this country as long as settler colonialism has, right? So so I do feel feel some responsibility to to engage in these conversations when when it feels safe to. Yeah, there's so much we could talk about just on that matter alone. I, I know we both have been immersed in religion for much of our our lives. And, you know, there's been a lot of conversations just around pacifism and and our stances on that. And I've kind of teeter-tottered on that issue myself, not only not always knowing what I believe about that. But I know one time that we were being asked about it in a QA and someone asked you know, what if somebody broke into your home or something like that? And, and I think I responded by saying, I would certainly want to defend myself and my, my family. And if I caused that person harm in any way, I would like to think that I'd be one of the first people to go visit him or her in prison, because I want to be able to say that I do see the spark of the divine, even after something like that had occurred. 
but maybe in the moment our emotions would kind of get the the best of us and we we might respond in a, a less than kind way which is what we ultimately want to do but just giving ourselves permission like that's okay yeah that's human absolutely absolutely yeah i think that's a that's a yeah, I think it's an important story, and 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 there's many in 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 my community and beyond that you know that practice that sort of that vision, and I think part of it too is, you know, our society is especially here in the United States is the 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 sort of legal remedies and 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 norms when it comes to accountability and so-called criminal justice have nothing to do with seeing the humanity and people who make mistakes, right? It's quite the opposite. And, and, you know, the, the prison system is one that, that only makes things worse, right? There's like rehabilitation, healing. Uh, this is not a part of the, the system in, in any way, shape or form. So I'm really inspired by those who are doing, who are looking for alternatives, right? And really like focusing on restorative justice. And I think that that is a practice that's very in line with Sikh philosophy and many other spiritual philosophies of, of the divine being in all. And so that when harm is harm is created, when mistakes are made, there is a path to, to approaching, to holding people accountable in a way that really continues to honor their their humanity and and their divinity, right? The, the divine that is that is in inside them. And I, I think our criminal justice system kind of does the does the opposite of that it, it it turns human beings into into disposable disposable beings right and and that and that only exacerbates all these problems in our society right when when we dispose of people when when they make mistakes i want to thank you for sharing the story of that young boy who at first kind of lashed out at you by calling you a name and then the story of him coming to understand that what he said was not good and it was not right and, and giving you a sincere apology and then you sincerely accepting that and having a continuing conversation with him, listening to him, listening to one another, that is a story of redemption. And we, we love to hear that and we're grateful that that awkward and difficult and even painful moment could be turned into something better and something that showed a different way uh, in order to relate to and react to one another. And so thanks. Uh, appreciate hearing that. I'd like to just now ask you something else and, uh, you know, to kind of change the, 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 the tone a bit away from the challenges and talk about the joys. What, what kind of joys have you experienced in the work that you do your, your, your social justice education and training work, uh, the things that have over the years just, you, you've seen some, some healing taking place. You've seen movement for the better, things more positive. Tell us what you can about that. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think I'd be able to do it if there wasn't a lot of joy in it. I, I really believe that honest conversation, facilitated conversation about all these horrible things in our society, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia, right? Economic inequality. I think I think uh, a lot of change begins with these conversations. And, and, and I know it firsthand because that's how my life began to transform, being on the sort of other end of, of these kinds of conversations, being involved in workshops as a young person. 
And, and, and so I see it all the time. I mean, I think it's rare that I facilitate a workshop or a training where there's not a, a good amount of joy in it and, and sort of witnessing real transformation, you know, witnessing transformation in, in real time, right? Aha moments that, that folks are having. I, I, another just sort of example that pops into my mind, I, I helped to run this sort of political education program for college students in New York City a couple of times a year, a couple of times a year that focuses on cities and social justice. And so I sort of planned this two-week program in New York City where college students from around the country are, are learning about a lot of the inequality in New York City and, and social movements here. And just like in that two-week period, seeing where some of these students are at and then seeing where they're at after, after two weeks of kind of rigorous exploration, guided facilitation, community building, it's, I mean, it, 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 it's always like sure to make me feel like, okay, I'm on the right path here. Like I'm spending, I'm, I'm using my time in, in ways that are really helpful, right. In terms of, you know, helping, helping others understand what we're up against, not only what we're up against, but, but then what solutions can we draw inspiration from, right? Like in that program that I was talking about, a big part of what we do is visit with local organizations, grassroots organizing groups, community-based organizations that are that are doing the real work, the day-to-day -day base building, the day-to-day -day advocacy work, bringing folks together in in their neighborhoods, and and uh, and and to see that impact on on students is is super super powerful. So yeah, I mean, I I think I do the work that I do as much as much as for myself as I do for for others because I need it just to stay hopeful as as well. And it definitely it definitely at its best does that. So then we have this six module training, compassionate listening training program that we lead groups and organizations through. And one of our modules is built around creating safe spaces for people. And we would just like to know where do you find safe spaces to be you, to be heard, to be accepted and, and respected for who you are? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel, I feel very at home in, in Brooklyn and I'm grateful to have a big community here where I feel like I can fully, fully be myself and thrive. But honestly, I think the, I think the, the, maybe the, the place where I feel the most at home and the most myself is performing music. You know, when I'm in a, in a musical zone, there, there's something obviously that is, is very spiritual about it, regardless of whether there's lyrics or not. And, and I think that is, that is a place where I, where I really do, where I really do feel at home, you know, in, in that sort of indescribable space of communication that happens between musicians on a, on a stage and between musician and, and audience. I think that's a place where I, where I thrive and I, and I feel, I feel very at home. In your music, what or who inspired you to be the musician you are today? What, what led to this passion? that you have and the, this artistic expression that is so important to you? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I have no musicians in my family, but, but as I was saying, you know, music plays a pretty central role in the Sikh community. So, you know, I do think some of it certainly came from within our community's practices because music is so central. So I was exposed to playing music before I ever picked up the trumpet. I started playing the trumpet in the fifth grade and, and school band just sort of arbitrarily. And I think over time, 
it just became such a critical way for me to kind of process the world. You know, even though in, in school, it was just like reading, reading sheet music, mostly Western classical sheet music, but it still just provided this channel to kind of process emotions and, and feelings. And then, you know, of course, I was impacted deeply by the music that I was that I was listening to as a as a child and as a as a teenager listening to a lot of the stuff that was popular in the 90s Pearl Jam Nirvana etc and and eventually began to began to explore my own voice as a as someone who who writes music and creates music as I as I grew older as a teenager and into my 20s and it's a and it's a constant state of state of growth you know I I only released my first you know I've, I've been touring been a part of a lot of different bands for almost a couple of decades now but I only released my first solo album last year right so in many ways I feel like I'm just just beginning what would you like others to who who listen to your music to walk away from having gained yeah, well, the the name of my record, and I think in many ways, the mission statement of of this new musical project is this idea called Cerdicola, which is an idea and practice in the Sikh community of ever rising spirits or sort of radical eternal optimism. And I and I think that's precisely what I hope folks walk away with. And and what I mean by eternal optimism and what we mean in the Sikh community is not that we always have to be happy or we have to ignore pain and suffering not not that at all but that but that this practice jardkalag sort of gives us the fortitude to to wake up another day and and to fight another day for for what's right right to to continue on in our struggles with our heads had held up high for for justice and liberation and so that's ultimately what i hope my music people feel and 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 inspires people to act in in that manner so what was it like producing, creating your own record? You know, was it, how hard was that? How exhilarating was it? How, how frightening is it to put something out there for the world to hear? All um, of those you know, things. What, all those <laughs> things. Yeah. So tell us, tell us about all those things. And, and, and actually we're, we're really proud of you for that and excited for you and just want to hear more about what, it, what it's been like. Thanks. Yeah, it was definitely one of the hardest things that I've that I've ever done. It took a very long time. And then the, the pandemic kind of slowed things down as well, because I started recording it just before uh, in, in 2019. I started recording, recording it and then and then finished it up kind of late in 2021 and then released it, released it last year. Yeah, I mean, it was, it, you know, it's so-called solo album, but in in many ways, that's a that's a misnomer because there was you know, dozens of collaborators, including the producer, co-producer, Will Dog Aber is a, a dear friend of mine who lives in LA and has won multiple Grammys and founded the pretty legendary band Ozo Motley out there. That's been deeply inspiring to me. And so, yeah, it's unlike, unlike anything I've done before in terms of just the the process and the thoroughness of, of it all. But I'm, I'm really proud of it in, in the end. And yeah, and, and, you know, and it's been nearly. A year. I think we're coming up next week on a on a year since the album came out. So it's been, yeah, for sure, plenty of insecurity, imposter syndrome, in in doing something like this. But a lot of moments of a feeling really seen and and people reaching out, whether it's after hearing the album or whether it's after a show that I'm because I play the music live as well, and and sort of reflecting back to me 
what my intention was, you know, without me saying anything. And, and that just kind of blows my mind every time. There's been so many, so, so many moments of that where I'm like, oh, people get it. And, you know, there's so like the music industry is a very difficult place to make a living, very difficult place to to launch something new these days. And but those those individuals that reflect that back to me, that it makes it that totally makes it all makes it all worth it. Yeah. And there's been, you know, like coming up on this year, one year anniversary of the album, there's been some pretty surreal things that have gone down in the last week, which was I was invited to play at the White House a couple of days ago on on Monday. And that happened, met met the president. So that was very surreal. And and last week I was invited, and these things were connected to each other, but but separate people organizing them. Last week, uh, I played at this White House forum on Asian Americans, Native Hawaiians, and Pacific Islanders that Vice President Kamala Harris was at, was sort of the headline speaker. And so, yeah, so feeling, feeling it's, it's not that I need, need that sort of approval, but it, it, it does feel, it does feel significant to, to be invited into to I spaces love how you like just dropped that. that. Like it's very nonchalant. I just, <laughs> yeah, I'm just at the white house a few days ago, playing for the president, the vice president. Yeah. It was surreal. It was, it was, it was very surreal. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we heard that you have an upcoming film coming out. Is that right? Yeah, well, I'm in a I'm in a film that is is coming out. Yes. Okay, tell us more about this film and and what you hope the message will be conveyed through it. Yeah, so it's a feature length documentary called From Here, and the director Christina Antonakos Wallace, who's now a dear friend of mine, documented my life and three other children of immigrants in New York City and Berlin for over a decade. So it's kind of an epic journey, a coming of age for for many of us. I think. Probably for me, it was like going from my mid 20s to late 30s or something like that, or like late 20s to late 30s. And and the sort of theme that weaves our stories together is the ways in which we sort of redefine what it means to belong, you know, as an American or as a, a German and, and and sort of how we resist notions of nationalism and, and xenophobia and and racism through our our art and activism. So she documents sort of my trajectory as a musician, as well as some of my activism and organizing work. And it's really, really beautifully done. The other protagonists in the film are an undocumented Libyan descent in Queens, New York, and then a Roma person in Berlin and a Vietnamese German person in, in Berlin. And so to see these four stories kind of told together and interweaving is just, it's super unique. And then to also see how, you know, I think in the U.S. we often are, are very sort of American exceptionalism and we think everything is about us. And to see this sort of transnational telling of, of, of the story of migration and of, 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 you know, xenophobia, rising nationalism, I think is super, super powerful. And the, the film was done right as the pandemic started that's when the premiere was march 2020 uh, and so it's been a it's been a kind of uh tough couple years of film festivals like virtual film festivals and and stuff like that but the very exciting and big news is that the film will be having its broadcast premiere on on pbs on june 1st and so pbs stations across the united states i think 27 28 different PBS stations will be playing it and it'll also be available to stream for six months on PBS's website. So, so pretty exciting. That's very exciting. That 
that's tremendous. Congratulations. We cannot wait to see that, to view it, and to hear more of your story throughout, throughout your life. And we'll, we'll definitely promote it, too, with this episode. So that's, that's, really, that's really very exciting. Yeah, so yeah, I, I think it'll be up your alley. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's a great, this is a great way to end, actually, with this good, with this great news. Because first of all, your revelation about the, the White House and then, and then about, about this movie premiere. And uh, you're doing some incredible and exciting things. And we are very proud to know you, to have met you, and to have shared time with you earlier this year, person. But also to share this time today, it really means a lot to us and we value tremendously the work that you're doing and your social justice values and how it all, we know, works to make this world a better place. Thank you you so so much. much. Thank you. It's an honor to be a part of this conversation and really appreciate everything you all are doing. Thank you. Sonny really surprised us by the announcement that he had just performed at the White House with the president and the vice president of the United States. We had, we had no idea, and he kind of dropped that, as you heard, kind of very casually and nonchalantly, as if no big deal. We know it was a big deal. It is a big deal for him. And we're really, again, proud that he was invited, that he got to do that, and to share the music that and the passion that he loved so much. So... We congratulate him on that. And also on the film, we knew about the film, but we didn't know that it was something that had you know, been a long, many, many years coming and had he had been followed as he grew and as he matured, you know, into the person he is today. And that's just pretty, pretty, pretty neat too. So we are definitely proud of the work that he's doing and the experiences and opportunities that he's had. We began this conversation by just learning a little bit more about the Sikh faith. And one of the things that he highlighted early on was just that Sikh means learner, lifelong learner. And we pride ourselves on being lifelong learners as well. And we hope that you are too. That's why you tune in to our program consistently, because we are all all here to learn together, to be our best selves and to have the greatest impact that we can have upon the world. So thanks for being with us today. We are always grateful that you join us in the Someone to Tell To community. If you get a chance, if you could just do us a huge favor and go and leave a, a, a rev- if you could just do us a huge favor and go and leave us a review, it's surprise you'd be surprised at how much those reviews ma- mean to us here. And also, if you just want to learn more about our work, our training work, go to our website, someone to tell to.org. So until we listen again. <laughs>